Welcome to Spacers. This week we have Jonathan Cottrell, Director of Technology at Whiteboard. Jonathan's a great, great guy. I actually saw him twice in the span of a few weeks, and he doesn't even live in Austin, Texas. Uh, one, uh, he was speaking at CSS DevConf in uh, Long Beach, California, aboard the Queen Mary, talking about level four CSS selectors. And then a few weeks, a few weeks later, I saw him online talking about the theory of using attribute selectors to challenge how we associate styles to our markup. And I also found out that he has an amazing podcast called Developer's Tea, which is a, a short um, bits of uh, you know little, little shows about improving skill sets as a coder, but also overall as a human being. So definitely I encourage you to check it out. Uh, before we get started, uh, some sh- show notes. I'll be hosting a virtual conference on December 10th on Perch CMS. And Perch is a lightweight PHP CMS. You can check out more details at perchcmssummit.com. Also, uh, check for links to sites, apps, tools, and so on that are mentioned in this episode at nonbreakingspace.tv. And uh, please, be, please be sure to go on iTunes, search for Nonbreaking Space Show in the podcast section, and subscribe so you always get the latest show. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, just give us a review. Uh, it helps, help, help, yeah, pretty much just helps us get the word out to other people. Uh, with that, uh, that's it for now, and enjoy the show. Well, thanks for coming, being part of the show. I'm glad to be here. I actually, uh, Non-Breaking Space is one of the very first podcasts that I've listened to or that I listened to when I first kind of got into podcasting and uh, it was a huge inspiration for me. So, Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Was it like, oh man, this is so bad. I can do better. And then I just go <laughs> rush. No, actually, uh, it was the first time that I'd heard a podcast with content that was like, uh, I don't know, inspiring or enlightening or... I'm not sure what the word would be, but uh, it was that I can't remember uh, the name of the gentleman, but it was uh, a guy from MailChimp, and you'll oh, probably yeah. remember uh, the specific episode. Aaron, Aaron Walter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No. Yeah. yeah, Aaron is such a great guy, and he always uh, he always does a great job. I mean, he also has a he has a background in teaching college for like mm-hmm. ten years. Wow! So yeah. he actually knows how to teach and what what to do and what to bring in. And he's got the he's one of the nicest people ever. Yeah. Seen. So yeah, that was, a, that was a good show. Cool. Well, thank. Well, that's great. I'm glad uh, we've the show's done something. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. So uh, it's been kind of crazy because actually within within four weeks you've been at two of our events at Advice for Humans. I think that's right. So like we did, you were at. CSS DevConf. I was, the, yeah. At the Queen Mary. And like, this is this is interrogation, by the way. This is not <laughs> a casual interview at all. <laughs> so, what were you? And then, uh, and then we were at our online event, uh, the SAS Summit. Um, yeah. Which is right there. So uh, how was, uh, I'm just going to just, what do you think of the CSS DevConf? I just want to see. It was at the Queen Mary. We had it on a boat, on a ship, typically. Yeah. Ship, but yeah. Uh, well, the the most important part of of the uh, discussion is going to be the band, obviously. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. 
man was killer i mean just fantastic the music was incredible um no i i thought it was a a very well done conference um i thought that the the blind submission process was mm-hmm. was it was really cool to see the result of that uh and it's partially as a result of the community encouraging people but it's also you know environments for humans encouraging people to to apply to speak at CSS DevConf. And it turned out to be close to 50-50 split, um, male-female or identified male-female. Mm. Something close to that, I think, for speaking. And uh, I mean, there was it was just a well-represented po- uh, uh, conference. I thought that um, there's quite a few really interesting talks that I, you know, I, I was looking forward to all of them. But things that I never would have thought were would be interesting to me ended up being interested to it, interesting oh. to me. In fact, uh, Marcella's talk was my favorite talk of mm-hmm. of the whole conference. And, and uh, this was um, the to... zombie patterns. Yes, zombie. He had a great presentation from start to finish. He did yeah. a great job. And yeah, so, just very thorough. Yeah, and also light. You know, like it was technical, but also light um, yeah. and humor. Nice touch. So it was a really great job all the way through. And so, yeah. Yeah. I actually connected with him on the first night mm-hmm. and he told me he was going to be doing something about, you know, he mentioned IE, like old IE. And I was like, I'm not going to be, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not going to be relevant to me because <laughs> I'm lucky enough to work on projects that we don't have to support it. And so, you know, I was yeah. like, oh, well, for some people, maybe that'll be, but I sat in the talk and I just really enjoyed it. So, yeah. it was great. Cool. I do want to go back to the band part. Like, you like the band? Do you play? I do. Yeah, I play guitar. In fact, I have my guitars in this room with me. They used to be on this back wall uh, that you're seeing if you're watching the video, I guess. do you, I don't know. Do you uh, post the video at all? Yeah, we post the video, but we don't really advertise the oh, okay. video yeah. as much. But uh, it's really <laughs> like I totally stole this idea from Micah, uh, yeah. who does uh, the SAS uh, recordings. I uh-huh. yeah. SAS Bytes. And uh, he just does his... Uh, podcasting through google hangouts which is mm-hmm. just so it automatically records the video and audio which is not gonna be the greatest audio but um i find that it's easier for me when i'm trying to get someone who doesn't do podcasting uh-huh. to be interviewed that uh and they're not really too technical yep but uh they understand google hangout mm-hmm. uh, more than they understand the word skype or yeah. you know someone else so that's why i just decided to just to just do google hangouts but yeah so if you're watching so yeah so we are on Long way to go to say that we're actually on uh, YouTube if you want to check it out. But, yeah. <laughs> well, so, you aren't going to see my guitars anyway. So yeah. if, if you're <laughs> listening to it, you're not missing out. Uh, I'm not going to bring them out. And well, this is a long them. way to say, like, if you want to check out your wall of no <laughs> guitars, you totally can. Yeah. No, it's it's empty back there. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I do play. Um, and, and in fact, I was really impressed by the band. Uh, I'm impressed enough that I ended up going up and talking to them after they finished their set and asking the guitarist, like, you know, can I look at your gear? And <laughs> he was totally, I mean, he was excited, just as excited as I was to talk about gear. So it was, yeah. it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. That band, um, they're called uh, Harbor Party. Harbor Party. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I actually looked they, them up. <laughs> yeah. They're, um, they're the first vendor uh, we looked up once we knew we were going to be at the Queen Mary. Mm-hmm. And um, we just thought that, uh, which never really happens. Like, like and we actually, uh, we actually laughed about it at the beginning. Was that uh, w- <laughs> like we first contacted in February, 
And in October, we actually met for the first time in person. It was just like kind of crazy how we've we had that. It was you know, nine months later. Like, oh my gosh, we're actually doing this. Yeah. And um, and I think they kind of like were disbelieved that we actually held on to this date and for this gig for for like nine months. <laughs> like, uh, are you sure you're still in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, because we thought like it'd be great to have a yacht rock party on a ship, and I thought that was kind of uh, humorous. It was yeah, the yeah, floating then, shark and all. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, uh, and then the octopus. We had a uh, balloon octopus on uh, <laughs> uh, this, and uh, which is funny because like uh, that came about because um, uh, we have a yacht rock uh, band playing, and if you don't know what yacht rock is, it's just you know smooth music from the seventies and eighties that may or may not have a nautical theme, like uh, sailing, <laughs> you know, across, and then you know. Um, it's the most general genre that you can imagine. Like, there's <laughs> anything can be yacht rock if it's played the right way. That's yeah. the easy part of it. And uh, and so we're playing this like uh, and Queen Mary's historic. It's technically now it's not a ship anymore. It's technically a hotel, but it's uh, it's a registered landmark uh, hotel. And so it's like Art Deco wood from the like, design from the 1930s. And so we have wood. Uh, I think almost original carpet, not the original carpet when it was built, but original carpet when it was done with serving UK during World War II. But so they came back to be a, a liner, mm-hmm. a cruise liner, like after after that. So it's like the original carpet from the 50s, 60s almost in some areas. Yeah. And uh, so, and they have this like original wood from that, you know, from actually when they went back and refixed it. And so I actually asked them if we could bring in a fog machine or a bulb machine, and they said no. They said no. Wow. Yeah, I said because they would uh, affect the ship. Yeah. So I said, "Can I bring in some balloons?" And they said yes. And so, uh, <laughs> so, so it's you brought every balloon you could find. <laughs> yeah. And so in LA, I like you know one of the things we do when we do see the dub companies is like we we really play to the strengths of the city. So mm-hmm. in New Orleans, we had a parade, uh, and uh, during go down Bourbon Street and in French Quarter, and uh, you know, and then um, cool. And then, uh, so one of the things we, we want to do was like play, you know, so kind of like play the strengths of LA. Like, there's got to be a company that does because there's there's a party every every night probably mm-hmm. for all these Hollywood and TV execs sure. in LA, right? So there's got to be someone who just uh, focuses on balloon art for parties. And sure enough, <laughs> it's like elite balloons. Uh, that's all they stuff. do, and that's all they do. It's like, and they had like, hey, we do. I said, like, what do you have for nautical theme? And they're like, we have this balloon thing, which I swear, to, I swear, it had uh, the an octopus about the size of a. It looked like to me a cubicle, like just the size of a cubicle. And I was like, you know what? Well, I want one of those. We'll just put it in a corner somewhere. <laughs> and they went to go check out the space, and they came back and they had a sketch. And you know, we did on-site training, just you know, on-site viewing of the ship. For like like a day, so we just didn't know. Just so we know, we got a feel for what's going, what could be happening on that ship. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, and it was just like uh, um, so I didn't really know how big this octopus was going to be, but I was just like, oh, it looks pretty cool, like whatever. And so when they installed it, it actually took over. It was this huge eighty foot octopus. I didn't. Yeah, it was how, massive. Yeah, it was crazy. And so somebody mentioned that they would uh, they wanted to take the octopus down to the Lego 
uh, model of the ship yeah. and like put it on the ship as a massive, you know, I can't remember who it was that said that, yeah. uh, but like to make some kid's day who walks through and looks at the Lego ship and now there's a huge octopus overtaking the ship. It was great. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> right next to that room is the, uh, they have models, like scale models of, of Queen Mary in this other room, but then in this other separate room, they have a Lego, the 60, I don't know how big, I guess like 60 foot, no, there's a huge Lego model of the ship, like right next to where we were. And, uh, and you just wrapped us balloon around us. Conveniently about the size of the octopus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like release the Kraken. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, anyway, so we can talk about, but, uh, but yeah, so it was a great party. And, um, but yeah. And so one of the things we love about DevConf is that we get a whole bunch of new speakers that we never would have originally, uh, probably found if we didn't do a double blind mm-hmm. process. And so, um, and it, it just it's it's awesome, um, and also kind of kind of bad because I always I always think like into throwing a big party and you don't know who is coming. Yeah, which is true for a conference in general, but just for speakers, you usually know ahead of time how many people are coming, who's coming. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I was really I was really pleased with the technical uh, nature of all the talks. They're really kind of high uh, high yeah. level of, uh, of talks, and so thought that was pretty good. So. Yeah, really. There was a lot of SVG discussion, mm-hmm. uh, especially on that first day. And then yeah. there was, you know, the the discussion about CSS in your inline styles uh, mm-hmm. or taking, you know, doing it with React or uh, web components. And I'm looking over the schedule right now okay. and <laughs> just to refresh my mind. But uh, just a ton of really great technical talks. Yeah. Totally. And uh, the other side of it was uh, that there, like, there was a sense of like people wanting to show each other the cool stuff they were doing. Like uh, Chris having his show and tell, Chris Coyer having his show and tell on on that last day before the uh, the closing keynote was so much fun. Like you have people coming up and showing things that don't really warrant a full presentation mm-hmm. necessarily, but the idea is worth you know, sharing with people. Right. And so it's, it's a really cool format for that. Yeah. I was, I was running around during that time, but I was, that's like one of the places I wanted to check out if I could have just yeah. to see how, how that vibe was going in that room. It, that was, was, it was super chill. It was like a, some, it was like hanging out in somebody's living room. Oh, you know, nice. it was like less, less uh, stressful than going to like a meetup, like a local meetup. It felt more, friendly than, okay. a, than even a local meetup is cool okay cool awesome yeah that's pretty cool but anyway so i do want to talk about what uh uh what you're doing uh you're you're talking about level four selectors yeah level four selectors uh, mine was probably uh in terms of technical as technical as it gets because i quite literally uh went through the entire level four selector spec and basically created a talk around it instead of having to, you know, slog through all of that, all of those wonderful things that make up the spec. Um, And, you know, of course, more respect to the people who spend the time to make that spec. It's all important and necessary, but it's sometimes a little bit hard to, to access, especially for developers who, you know, aren't spending all their time reading that stuff. They're trying to make stuff, you know, all the time rather. And so, um, yeah, I did a, I did a relative, it ended up being relatively short, but I went through every new selector in the spec and, uh, I actually don't know how many new selectors there are now that I think about it, but, um, yeah, we, I covered every new selector. It was, it was 
my favorites, by the way, if, yeah. if uh, anyone is wondering, Matches is a really, really cool selector. Well, what does Matches do? So Matches is a pseudo selector. I want to say pseudo selector. It's not a pseudo element, a pseudo class, maybe. Anyway, it basically colon matches, and then you do parentheses, and you can pass in any number of uh, simple selectors inside of matches or any number of complex selectors inside of matches. And so if you bundle these two, if you bundle two matches together, then you basically can have uh, uh, what would otherwise require a lot more selector code. It's easier to see this, obviously, uh, but it would require, you know, 10 to 15 lines can be done in one line. Oh, it's nice. really powerful. Okay. And it's already available, by the way, in Safari. It's not oh, available okay. in Chrome yet, but it is available in Safari. The has selector is pretty cool. I call it the, the coffee cabinet selector because you don't call the cab, a coffee cup cabinet, you don't call it a coffee cup cabinet unless it has coffee cups inside of it, right? Okay. And so... Uh, I dubbed it the the coffee cup cabinet selector. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be fast enough to do it inside of a style sheet, but you will be able to use it in in JavaScript. So, so basically, it checks for the contents, any uh, descendants of a of an element. You can check the contents of that uh, of that element and determine does it have that inside of it. And wow! So, so like, what do you mean by content? Like, like, what does it check for? Like. So like, let's say you have a nav, right? Okay. And you want to check uh, for a nav that has a anchor tag with a class of logo. Mm-hmm. You can do nav colon has parentheses a dot logo. Okay. And it'll select the nav element, not the, not the anchor tag, but the nav element okay. based on its contents. Okay. So it's like looking down and saying, okay, this is what you want, but then it looks back up. Yeah, it's like the holy grail of selectors is what oh, yeah. a lot of people like to call it because otherwise you have to, I mean you still have to do this in JavaScript because it's weight it, essentially it's not performant enough mm-hmm. uh, to do it in a dynamic context. Right. And then there was also um, placeholder as it on the input. Is that right? Yeah, there's a uh, placeholder shown is yeah. is the name that that's another selector so colon placeholder dash shown and basically all the times where the placeholder is shown, you can select and style that element based on that. Oh, nice. Which is, yeah, it's really nice for, uh, for form styling. And, you know, if, if you have it focused, for example, or if you have some input uh, in that particular element, right? If, if the input value is not nil uh, or empty, rather, you can style the input based on whether or not the placeholder is shown, essentially. It's it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And then, is there a time one? I'm looking at. I'm I'm, look, I'm actually looking at uh, uh, Natalia's sketch notes. As oh a, yeah, yeah. So there is a um, there is a uh, time dimensional pseudo classes. <laughs> Basically, what that is, uh, there in the in a future spec, there's going to be um, uh, what is what amounts to closed captioning mm-hmm. and transcripts and. As a video or audio is playing, you'll have the transcript that automatically, you know, advances along with oh, wow. uh, that, that video and audio, wow. and so you know it's basically encoded. But at the moment that a particular piece of text is being read, you can mm-hmm. style that. 
based oh, wow. on whether or not it's current. Right. Obviously, again, this is something that we've been doing with JavaScript right. for quite a while, but um, this would allow you to do things like, you know, CSS animate stuff across the bottom of the screen or, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. Okay. Pretty powerful, powerful accessibility stuff too. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of accessibility, um, the Lang, the language selector, yeah. uh, attribute selector stuff, uh, or it was, it used to be that we would only select based on attributes, right? Um, but now the spec allows you to select all elements that actually uh, resolve to a particular language. So you know, typically the language is set on the HTML element, and then we would do a selection, you know, lang equals en or whatever. Um, and then anything inside of that, we would style a particular way. But now we can do colon lang and then pass in uh, a number of different uh, options. One of them being just a base language, but you can also do um, asterisk for wildcard. So you can do like language namespaces. So if, you're, if you are a uh, developer for something that has a lot of translation and the translation changes style, this is going to be really, really important for you in the future. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah. yeah I've done a couple of international sites in my time and, and they were always, uh, they were always painful. Yeah. They had to do change of design and to, to fit their, fit their needs. So yeah, it's but, difficult. It's but difficult. yeah, yeah, but it's, uh, but it's actually rewarding in some ways because you're actually trying to build a site for the world wide web and you realize that not everyone speaks English. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. It's yeah, very designed true. for that. So. <laughs> yeah, I, new ideas, guys. That's what we're, that's what we're about here. Yeah, not everyone really. speaks English. <laughs> so. <laughs> not not everyone speaks English. Believe it or not, uh, yeah, it's as ubiquitous as it feels. Yeah, and then um, see, valid and invalid seems kind of like like yeah. how would how would CSS how would this be triggered? Like if you just do a how how would that be applied to check to see if some, if a, I guess the input field is invalid or invalid? So you can have uh, different attributes set on input, like uh, the required attribute mm-hmm. and just the existence of required. Um, the the input would be considered invalid mm-hmm. unless it had a value. What um, if you put to like um, I know sometimes you can do like a a pattern on yep. input. So so would it be able to match that yes. and say like this is invalid or not based off the input? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, nice. And there's another, uh, there's two other things that are pretty cool about the uh, validity pseudo classes. Mm-hmm. One is that you can do um, user dash invalid. Yeah. So, and basically what that means is, um, let's say you have an input that's required, right? But the user is loading that page for the first time and it doesn't have a value. Well, you don't want to show them a style as if they've made an error, right? That's kind of jarring to see an error on a required field that shouldn't be invalid until after you've uh, interacted with it. And that's exactly what user-invalid does. Um, okay, so user-invalid is just, it loads, it's the initial page load? So it's basically uh, only applied once the user has interacted with that particular field. So okay. presumably once they've focused it, or maybe once a change event has, a fi- has fired on it, okay. um, the spec isn't totally clear on that, but... Okay. Yeah, it, it just kind of says once they've interacted with it. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that sounds crazy. Yeah. Wow. 
which again, we've done that with JavaScript for years, uh, right. form validation and that kind of stuff. But now we're getting you know, slightly. And in fact, uh, Chrome won't even submit a form unless, you know, if, if something is required mm-hmm. and uh, you haven't filled it in, Chrome will actually give its own error pop-up, like a pop-over. Oh. So if you have an input that's required and you've skipped it and you click submit, Chrome's like the the Chrome UI will actually do a little error message and say this this input is required. Oh, wow. Okay, that's pretty awesome. And the other thing about validity classes, I could go all day. That's, um, that's awesome. The the validity classes can also be applied to field sets, mm. so you can check an entire, uh, you know, five or six inputs. I wouldn't recommend putting you know twenty inputs inside of a field set. But, <laughs> Uh, you can check a, a couple of fields all at once. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have you know a three-section form for whatever reason. Uh, you can check entire sections and then maybe you know put a, a checkbox at oh. that at the header of the section rather than you know trying to validate each field independently and then doing checkboxes on each field gives wow. people a sense of overall progress and that kind of stuff. Cool. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, that's this is definitely great oh, stuff. Let's see. Uh, there's any link. What is that? Uh, any hyphen link? Does that mean any link refers to? So links are not just uh, anchor tags. They are also links. Uh, I can't remember exact the exact syntax, but uh, there can be links inside of an SVG. And then okay. it seems like there's one other link that that you can have. But in any case, um, any link. Is it covers all of those, right? So uh, that includes the visited as well as the non-visited links. So you could, oh, do, okay. you could do like um, colon any link or asterisk colon any link and then set a color uh, in case you, for whatever reason, don't want your your visited links to have a different color from, which you should, by the way. That's yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> but... So, Let's say oh, you don't want underlines or something like that, right? You could right. do it on all links at once. Yeah, but what's the difference between any link and then just saying setting values for just an A element? So because uh, any link matches anything that has the href, it, it's, it's basically anything that has the href attribute. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a link element. It can be an anchor element. It can be... Uh, inside of SVG, there's another one. I can't remember again the, the exact syntax for it, but uh, there's multiple types of links that you can have in okay. in HTML. Okay, so it's way beyond just a, a link. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. And then, um, um, sorry, sorry to pick your brain on short notice. I'm, no, I love it. Uh, and then um, for Sassamit, you talked about uh, attribute driven design. What was that about? Oh, uh, this is a this is going to be the this 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 is less technical and more opinionated. So this will spark the debate amongst okay. the listeners, hopefully. Um, so I I dug into CSS a few years back, uh, probably four or five years ago is when I really got heavy into CSS. And back then we used IDs all over our CSS, and. At some point, someone smart realized that IDs kind of cause problems, right? They cause some overall design issues, not aesthetic design, but code design, code organization, and maintainability issues. 
And so we collectively decided to ban them from our style sheets. Right? Like, um, If you write CSS now and you see an ID, there's probably some red flags that go off. right? And you think, okay, well, how can we move away from the ID and move towards the class? Okay. So uh, the idea of that change kind of sparked in me a question of, you know, are there changes that we should be aware of and concerned with making now? What is the next change that we can make to the way we write CSS? And of course, you know, people solved this question in many different ways. Um, one of those ways was the, you know, inline styles with React. But I started looking into this idea and I found attribute module CSS, which was written by uh, Ben Schwartz and Glenn Mattern. Glenn was also at SASConf, by the way. Oh, wow. And so uh, I accidentally, <laughs> funny story, I accidentally ran into him at the opening party and we had like a 10-minute conversation before I even knew who he was. Oh, wow. Like before I knew that he was the author of the thing that I was getting ready to give a talk on. <laughs> it was great. It was uh, probably my favorite moment uh, of that conference. But um so I started looking into AMCSS and they outlined some problems with classes that I had never really thought about. Um, specifically, if you look at the spec for classes and you really kind of look at the intention that was behind classes from the start, uh, basically what it says is that classes are available to use. It says nothing about how you're supposed to use them. It says nothing about you know what kind of naming structures uh, it, it basically says that classes are like variables. We can name them whatever we want, uh, however we want to name them, and it's totally okay, according to the spec. So um, we've been naming them many different things for many, many years. Uh, a lot of CSS architecture discussions are based on how we name our classes. And so many problems can arise if you don't have a good naming structure for your classes. So attribute-driven CSS basically gives you more flexible naming. It gives you more uh, connection between what you're writing in your code and what you're actually doing in the style sheet. So for example, uh, you can have um, a text-utils attribute. Instead of writing text utilities in your classes, like a u-dash, and having to write documentation about what u-dash means, right? Because... Uh, you know, somebody coming in could look at u dash and not understand that it means utility. They might think it means user, for example. Um, connecting these things semantically is all we're trying to do with all of our CSS architecture anyway. So when we look at our HTML structures and we see 10 or 15 classes on a given element, nobody can walk away from that element knowing what's going to happen, right? It's, it can be a very confusing structure. And because so many people are using uh, classes to, uh, to do the, the visual markup, right? So we, we, we prototype by adding classes to things. The idea of atomic CSS, where one class adds one property, that is really difficult to reconcile as readable code and walk away from that HTML knowing what's going to happen. So uh, attribute-driven styles allow you to separate those behaviors out from each other. And it, you can implement something like BIM with less characters and much more um, understandable code. 
And if you look at the code, if you look at the code examples and the kind of the AB between class versus attribute module or attribute driven rather, um, I would say that it's significantly more readable. It's much easier to see the, the intention. In fact, one of the slides that I had in my presentation had a hidden class at the end of the class string. And it said, bet you won't see this, all separated by hyphens. And nobody saw it. Literally no one saw it because we just gloss over these long strings of classes. It is an interesting exploration. And the intention of the talk was to only get people to think about it, not to necessarily convince everyone, you know, attribute driven is the way to go, but instead to be ready to change and be ready to question whether, whether CSS classes are really the only way or the best way to do things. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, because you know, one of our examples was to like, instead of having, you know, class, uh, you know, class-itis, if you will, uh, <laughs> it was just to like, you know, just, yeah, use the attributes and, and you had different, like, different comparisons, like between lines of code was one of your examples. And then also clarity. Mm-hmm. It was a big, yep. big issue with that uh, attribute design. I thought that that's, that came across very clear in your presentation about like, you know, just, and as you just mentioned, so, but yeah, so cool. Yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff and would love to, like, if anybody has questions about it, I, I jump all over the discussion because I think it's such an interesting topic of discussion. Uh, we don't really talk, I, I tweeted this out the other day, um, we don't really talk about how code hits our eyes very often. Right? We talk about performance a lot, we talk about accessibility, we talk about, you know, uh, structure and architecture but very few times do we actually talk about, for example, something as simple as changing your, your highlighting in your, in your editor. This is super important, right? Like seeing, seeing your code in a way that's readable to you is fundamental to each and every keystroke. And right. if you can make your code more readable to humans, then you're going to see like cascading effects, no pun intended, um, that, that really make a big difference in the long term um, because it's you know one little piece at a time becoming more readable, more semantically uh, understandable. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because like I mean, there's uh, programmers and coders, developers just they have their own. You know, after a while, they just start to own their space of of their their development space, and and they and I've seen this plenty of times when they want to have almost little mini wars over which one's the best uh, color scheme for their text editor, and so it goes to show you that. It, if people, designer developers are crazy about not crazy, but or or passionate about their color schemes and their code editor. I mean, they should also go to one step further that how we code should sure. also impact it too. So, yeah, yeah, make your code actually literally look good. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. In oh. fact, I would say it's a good thing. Right, and I think that's where um, you know Dan Cedarholm, when when he was writing books, uh, he, he actually made sure to like camera home that you know handcrafted quality and make sure you're it's actually you know take pride in your work and so like a craftsman so yeah yeah. cool and then um i do want to talk about your podcast sure developer t how did that get started and what what made you so i know you mentioned i market space but i don't think that's like the real reason why you got (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, uh, so developer T started in January, so we're pretty close to a year old now, which is kind of, kind of crazy. Um, and I started sitting right here at this desk and I had the idea of doing a podcast. I'd wanted to do one for a long time because 
Um, it, really, the format of Developer Tea is kind of the selling point, right? It's a 10-minute podcast-ish. Sometimes it goes well over that, but typically right. I try to hit 10 minutes. Sometimes I do less than that. It just depends on the day. Um, but, but to deliver it you know, multiple times per week, but at that short, uh, trying to hit that short mark. And the hope being that, you know, people with a short commute or with a small break in their day can kind of keep up, uh, not necessarily with development news, but with, you know, even things like soft topics, right? Talking about hiring, talking about, uh, you know, how to deal with burnout, very small, very simple, yeah. stu- simple I stuff. Really, into- yeah, I really enjoyed the small skills uh, uh, episode that you did. That was pretty nice. Yeah, it's it. There's, uh, you know, I talk about focus, for example, and I talk about learning about learning and um, quite a few topics that are not just specific to developers, but they come from a developer's perspective, I guess. Um, well, not I guess. I am a developer, so they do come from my perspective, but. Uh, it's it certainly is opinion, and I'm very clear about that. And um, yeah, I honestly the idea was just to try it out and see if I liked it. Right? Yeah. Uh, I really had no idea that it would be uh, well received or anything like that. I, I just had decent audio equipment, yeah. <laughs> so I you know started recording, and that was I, I passed the name around. I was going to do developer coffee uh, right. or developer coffee break or something like that. Um, but coffee, quite honestly, is totally saturated on iTunes. <laughs> There's <laughs> like 500 coffee break podcasts. So I was like, no, I can't, I can't do that. And, uh, developer T just kind of had a good ring to it. So nice. Yeah. I really appreciate the, uh, the 10 minutes or the shorter, uh, podcast. Uh, thanks. I think that's pretty nice. There's some really good ones too. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Ruby cool. five and. Uh, I think it's called jo- Five Minutes of JavaScript, the yeah. stuff by the Code School guys. Oh, nice. I took that one out. Uh, yeah, they're good. Cool. And so, um, cool. Well, I definitely recommend people check it out. It's pretty yeah. awesome. And then, it. and then, uh, I, I liked it because I was going through and you know, researching for, for today, and I was just, I really enjoyed it. It was almost like NPR ish, if you don't mind uh, me saying that. But, yeah, uh, it was like, yeah. it's like, hey, you read something and you're actually talking about and breaking it down. Yeah, so it was that's like totally it, the way it comes together. Yeah, it's, yeah, because I felt like you know you uh, you tweet out a link sometime, but you don't really you know, like, hey, I thought this thing is pretty cool, and unless it's self evident, you know, that what you know what that what your text is and your link in your Twitter or tweet or whatever, yeah, sure. people just won't you know grasp what's going on. If, and then you're at the mercy of the article you just tweeted to, whether they have you know it's good writing or not for people to grasp what's going on. But I really like the fact that you know your the podcast. Episodes I, I listen to, it's just like, oh, he's, he's giving the context and what that means. Sure. Uh, yeah. Board, so. But yeah. Yeah. Thank but you. But research. Well, <laughs> well, um, uh, we, question we always ask is, how did you get into web design or development? Yeah. Um, I, I used, well, as we've already talked about, I'm a musician. And um, I think this actually happens. I, I'm going to do a study one day when I have uh, nothing else to do, which mm-hmm. is probably never. Um, but <laughs> Uh, of people who got into this because they started out as a musician, because I think there's a lot of them. But uh, nevertheless, I was a musician. I still am. Uh, but I used to play in bands. And I wanted to have an easy way of reaching people and promoting the work, the music that I was doing. I wanted to do some like studio sessions and stuff. 
So I wanted to kind of put like a portfolio up and turns out um, I, as a result of that, I got really interested in photography. And so I decided, well, maybe I need to put a photography portfolio up online. So I learned how to put a, a photography website together and eventually launched that. But in the process of that, I realized that I really enjoyed the process of designing websites. And so I decided that I was going to start a web design blog. It does not exist. Don't go look for it. Um, <laughs> but this was back in like the 2007 or something around that. So uh, I started a, a blog and started writing. And then I met some people in the industry, started writing for other blogs. And then I decided to get an internship as a designer. Okay. So I go into my interview and I show them my website and they tell me, we're going to hire you as an intern as a front end web developer. And I thought, great. Front end means design. It does not mean, (laughs) (laughs) as it turns out though, uh, I was much more suited to being a front end developer than I was a designer and really enjoyed the interactive elements of code. That's where I learned all of my JavaScript knowledge. Uh, I started there and really just kind of slogged through. I think every developer has that story where they wrote their own slider. And that's yeah. how it's kind of like the battlegrounds, of, uh, proving grounds rather. Um, but yeah, so then I went on to, um, to get a master's degree in digital media. And that's really kind of what solidified my interest in computing. Yeah, it was at uh, Georgia Tech is where you went to, right? Yes, right. that is correct. Um, and, and how that happened? That was yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, did, um, well, I so I, I got my degree in communications advertising, mm-hmm. and um, which doesn't particularly have web necessarily built in, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that they have a web design course in the program that I took. So I had to teach myself this stuff. I actually was into you know After Effects and video editing. And so there's some JavaScript involved with that. And so I, you know, I learned enough uh, to be able to create you know, cool little interactions online, things that slide around the page and stuff like that. And so um, I, I was interested. I knew I wanted to be in web development, but I wanted to get a master's degree and I couldn't find master's degree in web development. Right. So I started looking to uh, you know, see what, what schools made sense and... Uh, what schools had, I, obviously I saw like MIT's media lab, um, which if you're not aware of what that is, go now and find out about it because it's super like really cool stuff that they're doing at MIT. Um, but another well-rated program was Georgia tech. And because I lived in Tennessee and, uh, my family lives in Alabama, I decided that Georgia tech was a good option. So I, I applied and got accepted. Okay, cool. It was a fantastic program. Yeah, could, is this, um, I think it's relatively new. Is that right? Am I thinking about the same program? Uh, it is. Um, in terms of digital media programs, it's probably relatively new. It's okay. some somewhere around, I want to say like 1999 is oh, the really? earliest. Okay. Um, so it's not, it's not brand new, uh, yeah. but they, they have definitely put more energy into it in the last probably five to ten years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I know I I think I was looking at maybe applying to that one myself when I was looking to get a master's degree, but uh, I went to uh, Florida State and got uh, visual communications. Oh, great! Yeah, and, uh, I actually work with some people who went to Florida State as well. Cool. Yeah, and um, yeah. So, 
so I know about it. So I know it's Intertech is always a great school. So it's sure. Awesome. Yeah. It's good to be around a lot of really smart people. That's like, if you go to a master's degree, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're wondering, should I go get my master's degree? Yeah. Um, perhaps the most compelling reason to go and get a master's degree is the people that you will be around mm-hmm. uh, while you are getting your degree, right? That's, yeah. that's the whole value because all, this, all the practical knowledge that you'll get in the degree, typically you can find online somewhere. And probably for free, like you can read the same books inside or outside of, uh, outside of a degree program. Um, but it's the people that you get to be with and the conversations and the work that you get to look at and watch other people perform. That's really where the value is. Yeah. You get get the the community aspect of it and slogging through together and learning. It's, It's pretty awesome. It is. And it's it is unique from from learning on the job. It is unique from learning on your own, uh, okay. certainly. So, it's in many ways it has the same kind of benefits as going to a conference. <laughs> quite honestly, yeah. um, there's nothing that you're going to learn at a conference um, that you couldn't find somewhere somehow online in some form, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if you if you go to a conference. Uh, just to go to the presentations, you're missing the point. Go to the go to a conference to meet and enjoy the time with the people that are at that conference, and you get a chance to you know talk about the actual stuff that you're building and talk about it with the people who know the most about it. So after Georgia Tech, what'd you do next? So there was a couple of buddies that I went to my undergrad degree with. And they, we all kind of started building web projects beforehand and uh, really enjoying it. It was mostly as like side income. And um, we, we had done quite a few projects together. When I went to Georgia Tech, they decided that they wanted to start a company. And um, they started at first as kind of like freelance on the side. And then eventually it became a full-time thing. Um, I was still working with them just kind of in a contract role. They started the company here in Chattanooga. It's called Whiteboard. And they actually, basically immediately after uh, my master's degree was over, they sent me an offer. And then I determined, yeah, this looks like the perfect opportunity. So uh, so now I, I basically have stayed with that company. And we work, it is agency style work. So we're working for different clients every day. Um, really uh, interesting work. So uh, I am the director of technology at that company now. And uh, luckily I have the opportunity of working with developers who have, we have since hired and that's, that's the most fulfilling part of the job. And uh, what is your uh, most, what's your, what's your thing that you're looking forward going forward and what are you passionate about these days? Um, So I'm very interested in learning more about JavaScript. Um, That's kind of, the, the heavy hitter right now for me, JavaScript and functional programming in, in general. So I do a lot of backend as well. And so uh, I'm interested in code organization. Um, and that's, that's kind of something that I've, that I've always appreciated, but learning a little bit about functional programming, I'm learning Elixir, you know, I'm a Rubyist. So I, I'm learning Elixir because it's kind of parallel in some ways to, to Ruby. Um, so yeah, it, that is a really interesting technology to me. JavaScript is interesting because 
first of all, there's a lot of energy behind it. There's a lot of people who are building stuff with JavaScript. Um, but the secondly, because it's it's everywhere. JavaScript is on almost every device that you touch now. Uh, maybe not devices from 10 or 15 years ago, but yeah. certainly any device that's made today has some kind of JavaScript running on it. Uh, so it's it's a ubiquitous thing. Um, that's kind of ES6, ES2015, whatever you want to call it, the, oh. the new generation of JavaScript. And then ES2016, there's a lot of uh, stuff that kind of brings JavaScript into the into the uh, this age, I guess you can say. Uh, so so it's an exciting time yeah. for JavaScript programmers. Yeah, my, my joke is that uh, uh, Skynet is written in JavaScript. Definitely. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. Probably transpiled. It could be written in CopyScript. <laughs> well, the, yeah, first generation probably. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, how can people find you on their internet, uh, on the socials? Oh, yeah, I'm all over the place. Um, right. You can find me at Jake Cottrell on Twitter, uh, at Developer T, and at SpecFM, actually. Spec is the podcasting network that Developer T is a part of. Um, I started it with the the hosts of Design Details, if you're familiar with them. Um, and we have a couple of other podcasts on the, on the network, spec.fm, if you want to just look at the network site. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for being here. Thank you, Chris. I really, I really enjoyed it. Oh, and of course, whiteboard.is. Okay. Uh, whiteboard is. And then at whiteboard is is the other one. So thank okay. you. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me to be on the show. Definitely, man. Cool. All right, next time.